Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Work. So this is that bit that I'm going to just record a few minutes of me talking before we get into the ad and the interview. Um, this week, I don't know, this is one of those, um, what I would say if you're friends with me is a very Rabia story, and I'm sure you all have a friend like me, or you're you're me in this case, where you just meet random people and have really cool conversations and so this guest that we have this week, a little backstory, we refer to this in the interview at the beginning, but uh, I want to get into it now since we're here, um, and I can, <laughs> really. This guest is Ben Ellis. He's a bass player. Uh, he tours with Iggy Pop when he can tour. He plays with Anna Calvi. He's in a band with Mark Almond. Um, I'm going to go see him in May. Well, maybe. <laughs> I think it'll get rescheduled maybe i don't even know it's hard for me to keep track of the exact dates that things are happening here but i have a ticket to go see him on stage with the band the loveless and he's been in a lot of bands he's done a lot and it's just so cool because i podcasted about 15 years ago i had pirate pods it's still up piratepods.com had some really cool interviews with a lot of people and it was me and my friends, and we were just talking to musicians and stuff. But this is the first time I've had a musician on. I have at least another one I'm going to ask. But it's the first time doing this with a musician for this podcast, which is totally different. And the way I met him was I was at BrewDog, which is a pub and brewery. It's a brewery here. It's a craft brewer that's pretty big in the U.K., and they have it in the U.S. actually, so I love their beer. They do a good gluten-free beer that I really like. And there's a brew dog near where I live here in Camden, and so I would just go there and hang out with my laptop. You know, it was COVID last year, and still is COVID, really. We don't even have bars open right now. But um, I actually created my website in that bar. I decided what podcast I was going to do there and first told my friend Rob, who does all the design about it, when I was there. And so a lot of stuff happened there, and I also met Ben, and he was there... Uh, with a girlfriend um, that she's awesome, <laughs> by the way. But I saw her T-shirt, and I said, hey, that's a cool T-shirt. And then I kind of forgot we were in COVID. I forgot you're not supposed to really talk to people or engage with them at that point. And um, we were sitting sep- you know, at separate tables pretty far apart. But I said, hey, I like your T-shirt. Is that a band? Is that a concert? And she said, yeah. And we just started talking about music. And finally, Ben fesses up to who he is and I just thought that was pretty cool but I wasn't really starstruck necessarily um but I was like man this is so cool just to like I felt like this is very Camden this is what I miss about life in COVID is just meeting random cool people and we ended up talking for I think like almost two hours I don't know if I'm exaggerating I don't think so it was for a while and uh it ended up I was going to visit a good friend up in Scotland there was this like about a month and a half, two months where we could travel. I mean, you had to wear a mask and everything and be safe and all that. But, um, and I did. And so I did go up to Scotland last year to visit a friend from California. And it turns out Ben grew up in Helensboro, which is the same town that my friend grew up in. And they were in high school together. So it was this total, you know, kismet thing where it was almost like we were meant to, meant to meet and meant to be. And I, I really love Ben. I mean, he's just a cool guy. You're going to hear this in the interview. I had so much fun talking to him. I can't wait till we can go talk again in person. And I just, I'm so glad he did this interview because I know it was probably not the typical interview that he gets and the typical kind of press he would do. 
and I'm certainly, you know, the small podcast, which I just want to say, guys, um, I've been on Clubhouse now a little bit and talking to people, and I just keep feeling more and more appreciation for everyone who's, like right now, if you're listening and you're taking the time to listen to this podcast, I really appreciate it because you're just helping me fulfill one of my, I guess, goals or purposes or even dreams to just bring awesome conversations to people and inspire them. But um, anyway, I just feel like really lucky to have, even though my podcast is small, to even have it be the size it is because I know it could be a lot smaller. I mean, it could be a lot bigger too, but I'm just grateful again that another guest too has taken an hour or more of his time to talk to me and then you're going to take this hour to listen. So without further ado, this is going to be Ben Ellis and I really hope you enjoy it. I had, I just had so much fun and it was just a cool chat. So also, yeah, just, I forget to mention, like if you can subscribe to my podcast, if you can review it, that'd be awesome. Send me a screenshot of your review if you want. Um, maybe I'll talk about it on here, but I just, I'm really excited about growing things, but really if you like an episode too, please share it with someone. That's the best thing you can do for me. If you want <laughs> is to share it. So Again, thanks so much, and let's uh, let's get started. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. All right, guys, uh, welcome back this week. And I, um, I actually met this person at a bar. I picked up this, uh, this podcast guest at a bar. He's already laughing, but no, there's a local pub I go to and he happened to be there. Uh, and we just started chatting and it ends up now he's on the podcast. Uh, it's Ben Ellis. He's a bass player and a sound engineer. Hey, welcome Ben. Hey, how's it going? Hello, everyone. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So you just want to introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, uh I'm just, I'm just that guy that people pick up in bars, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I like that. That's probably enough. But um, apart from being that guy that people pick up in bars, um, I do a few different jobs that are related to music, I guess. And um, I'm quite unusual as a musical person in that I work as a performer. I play the bass guitar. And I also work on the what we call like the other side of the multi code. So I, I I work in the sort of technical department. I, I'm a, mostly a front of house sound engineer. So when you go to a concert, there's usually a big sort of like thing that looks like a massive fruit machine at the back with some grumpy looking men standing around it scratching their um, or beards. Normally, uh, I don't have one. But, um, that's kind of generally what they look like and I do that as well so I mix concerts for various different artists and I play bass guitar for various different artists as well and a bunch of other sort of ancillary things that are to do with music but that's generally what I do yeah that's that's so cool so and the music came first like actually playing instruments and everything you started doing that at a pretty young age yeah um I I'd 
my mum my is a massive music fan and I think when she was growing up she always wanted to sort of play something and she wasn't didn't really have or wasn't particularly musical but she loved being involved in music so she really uh, my, my dad was a piano player uh, like, mm. not a classical player but he played in concert halls like music halls and that sort of thing like an accompanist and uh, I, I, when I was five, they started, my, I think it's my mum's dream to have a like, professional violinist as a son. So <laughs> I started playing the violin. Um, and then I played like, violin, piano, a uh, bit of saxophone, badly, uh, double <laughs> bass, well, like, a few different instruments. Then I found a guitar and through that I found a bass guitar. Uh, but they, yeah, they started me sort of doing that like from really young, which is great. But yeah, you get to that age when you sort of, want to be I guess cool when you're in your adolescence and then violin stops being cool, like cool <laughs> then but I think if you stick with it, it there's an age where it becomes really cool again I was an idiot and I <laughs> stopped playing it. <laughs> the bass guitar but yeah that, I started playing violin when I was young when I was like five years old and at what point did you pick up the bass and just and decide this was kind of like going to be your focus. I think when I was about fourteen or fifteen, I had a, a friend. I, the first sort of cool instrument I got was a, I think it was a Squire Stratocaster, which is like a baby Fender a Stratocaster mm-hmm. that Jimmy Hendrix used to play. And um, they have this sort of baby company called Squire that makes like replicas, I guess, of Fenders. And I got one of those when I was, oh, I don't know, maybe like. 12 or something and then uh, I remember I don't know what it was about the bass I just sort of when I got my first one it was this really ugly yellow sparkly thing I think the reason <laughs> I got, they got me that one was because it was like you know like the last one left in the shop that yeah. I wanted and it, it was a, a Hohner or Hofner or something it was like yellow oh it was really ugly it was like so ugly <laughs> it actually played alright but I remember sort of playing along to sort of tapes like cassette tapes yeah my bedroom and just being like this is really great i really love because it the bass as well as playing melodies it it vibrates so you really feel it you know and and, and that i kind of fell in love with that sort of thing pretty pretty quickly i even remember playing that really ugly yellow sparkly bass and really liking it you know i don't know what happened yeah but yeah, someone that's probably in a bin, isn't it? Like, no. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, if you've seen the yellow bass, please yeah, call yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should. That's what you should have done during this whole lockdown time. Just done this search. Try and find it. To the other yeah. yellow bass. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I will actually do a Google search and see if I can find a photo of it. I'll send it to you. But of, of I mean, they obviously exist in some sort of like nineties budget guitar. <laughs> yeah, world. somewhere. Yeah, I think it's Hofner or Hohner or something like that. I can't remember, but that was yeah, that was my first one. I remember quite quickly when I started playing it, being like, "Oh, this was this is really this is the instrument for me." You know, it was that bit of a yeah, movie. yeah. And then as a profession, I mean, did you when you were young, did you think, "Oh, this is what I'm going to do," or did you have other ideas and then end up really just? In- I remember at, at high school we had and and because you grew up in the states, right? We're in yeah. Britain, we had, we had a thing <laughs> uh, called, uh, they were called your careers officer, I think they were called. Mm. And they were absolute, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I just check a box if you swear. Yeah. Right. They were just terrible people. And um, I remember them 
so you know the, you would come in for your like, interview and it, and it, and it was so british as well like um i the idea i have anyway of, of people from britain probably half of america is that you you go to your careers officer and they're like what do you want to do and you say oh you know I, I, yeah i, I want to climb mount everest and they're like oh we've got a program for that yeah come over here like, <laughs> and, whereas here that that you go oh, i want to play the bass and they're like don't be stupid yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you, you belong and um, there's a job I think collecting bins that'd be really you'd be ideal for that you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and I remember really early sort of saying oh, I really I, I'm quite keen on this bass guitar thing and, the, and that yeah. the response just being like well I mean that's fine but what do you really want to do and I, <laughs> Gosh. And I was kind of like no nah, this like and I remember having sort of uh, that, that was maybe my first I don't know my first but that was like a quite early sort of rebellion point for me when I was just like these adults are idiots like, they don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and not only are they giving me terrible advice they're stupid as well they're really stupid <laughs> they're thick people do you know like, well it's like their career is to give other people advice on careers that they're not doing how to not end up like them I mean yeah. that's the best advice that they, they could have given I remember when I was a kid as well and I'm quite proud of this now. Um, when I lived, I grew up in this little town in Scotland, just outside of Glasgow. And when I was about maybe 16 or something, uh, um, I tried to get a job in the local supermarket. And at the time, <laughs> I had like long hair and like, I looked like a little sort of heavy rock kid. Like, I was in <laughs> something like that. And I went down for this um, supermarket job as like just shelf stacking, you know, like to make some money so you could go with your mates to the pub on the weekends, whatever. And um, the I didn't get the job, and uh, and I had mates that worked there, and they were like, oh, "How come you wouldn't give?" Because anyone could get a job as a shelf stacker, right? Yeah, like, you'd have like one leg and like, or, like you know, like no eyes and like <laughs> heads, and you could still put big beans on the shelf. You know? And uh, and the the manager apparently said to my mate that worked there, "Oh, we we didn't think, but the supermarket was called Gateway. We didn't think Ben was Gateway material." And I was I'm really, <laughs> I was gutted at the time, but now I'm kind of quite happy about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but that was my sort of early sort of careers advice <laughs> about being oh, a bit interesting. And did you try to pursue anything else, or did you always just you were playing and you just kept playing? Yeah, I, I tried to avoid doing anything else. Nice. <laughs> um, I, I, like uh, when I was in my late teens and uh, early twenties, I did various sort of bar jobs and mm-hmm. what like giving out flyers for gigs and just anything that w- was would make enough money to sort of eat and pay the rent so that I could kind of play really and I, I think I'm just various sort of part-time jobs really and then yeah. um, my first proper gig was playing bass for a band called the Catherine Wheel who were um not I mean they weren't big in America but they kind of could go all over the states and Canada and play to like 500,000 people or something uh-huh. So that was I was I think I was twenty four when I started doing that, and then that was when it, I sort of realised, oh, hang on, like I maybe don't need to have a really terrible. <laughs> some idiot will pay me to do this bass playing thing, and then you know that was great. That was a really good moment. I, I think at the time I was working in a telephone centre for a bank, just people. Oh uh, yeah, it was awful. So to I, I did send them a few postcards when I was on tour in America, going everything's great here. I hope it's all good in the call centre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that and well, I did a call centre job when I first got out of college, and it's a it's rough. It's not fun. It's pretty yeah. yeah it, it's pretty yeah. not to sound 
like lame earth of that, but it's pretty dehumanizing. Like the whole like mm-hmm. being a person is not encouraged. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Even did they time you how long you took when you went for a pee break? Well, they were pretty cool where I was, but we did have to go on like some aux code on the phone that was like right. saying saying that essentially. And you know, so if you your time was too much, then there'd be a problem, you know. <laughs> Um, and then like you had an average call time and then we had an average wait time, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I ended up being like a, like a manager or supervisor. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I moved up and, uh, but no, but you had to really look at people's numbers and sometimes people just take long or, you know, you start talking to them or whatever, but yeah, it's a bit weird of a job. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And customers don't, they're mean like a lot of the time. Yeah. Then yeah. Usually they're quite, yeah, they're, they're not interested in interacting with a human either. They don't, you know, they don't, it's it's not really a fun job for people. No. I guess it, it's kind of like the, the new sort of factory, isn't it? The call center. Yeah. I definitely read somewhere that people, financial institutions like having call centers in the west of Scotland because apparently the accent there is one that... Um, make people sort of inherently try mm-hmm. Scottish accent, which is kind of hilariously funny <laughs> with half of the people that I knew anyway. But yeah, that's, I guess that is the sort of industry. That's yeah. Yeah. And you're right though. Um, when I was in the States, we would outsource places and um, there are certain accents that don't work for, for yeah, it. So yeah. you're right. So yeah, that's funny that one. Cause I know we had like, you know, I'm from California, so basically it's pretty generic as far as an accent goes. <laughs> you know, yeah. but if you get certain ones, it'll bug people. And yeah, and everyone can understand it, which is yeah, yeah, which yeah. is oh. true for some Scottish people. Like, that's it's quite yeah. yeah, you could really get into. You'd be like, "What? I give up," and that's what I would do. I just hang up. I don't know what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that would be funny. Call center. Hello. What? No. Nah. <laughs> be the best job ever, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, wow, you really have good call times, man. Yeah. You're just resolving yeah. everything. Three or four seconds and, and all the inquiries. <laughs> like, enough time to say, can I help you with anything else? Like, it's- <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, no, but that's awesome that you were just able to kind of persevere through these things and, um, and then just keep doing it. And so, hmm. so you ended up on tour and have you basically always been like picked up to be in bands or in touring bands or have you formed your own groups over time? What's been that? Yeah, a bit of both really. Um, I think what's can be challenging for a lot of musicians um, when people normally have their first uh, sort of foray into being a professional musician or whatever, because you, when you start being in a band, it's just you and your mates really mm-hmm. unless you set out specifically to be a session musician which I think maybe people do that more now um but um back when we started like you just start a band with your mates or people you've met that like the same kind of music and then it kind of grows naturally if you're any good you know people come and see it yeah they'll more people and they come and see it and you sort of get to a point where you kind of record music and put records out and all that and um but invariably through one thing or another, like people fall out or the, the band stops being, people stop coming to see the band or fashion moves on or, or whatever. And um, the band will stop. And then a lot of this kind of people I knew who were very talented musicians found it quite difficult to 
keep going. Like they, it kind of was a, like almost like their heart had been broken by their first band mm-hmm. succeeding, and that experience kind of put them off. Because music, I mean, it, it's fickle. Like you, you, um, I, I have a number of friends who are incredibly talented musicians who are probably a lot more talented than I am, who who have had very little kind of commercial success or or been able to make a career out of it. So it is kind of difficult going from that initial kind of thing where a band, because bands blow up for, it's like anything, like for strange, it's a strange coming together of lots of events that suddenly make a band have a hit record or Mm -hmm. a following or or suddenly they blow up somewhere. You know, like with these things that just, go viral on YouTube or whatever. It's like that with with music. It doesn't really have any bearing on how good it is or how, you know, musically honest it is or anything like that. So I think people find it difficult to sustain a career, but I just kind of kept, it was just what I I felt that I was useful at doing. Like I didn't really, Mm -hmm. like, I wanted to apply. I was one of those kids at school. It was like, Ben will do really well at anything that he's really interested in doing and anything else. <laughs> and that was kind of it, really. I just sort of kept making, just kept trying to do different things. And that then becomes a kind of challenge in yeah. itself. People ask you to do more interesting and weirder stuff or, or whatever it is that you're into, you know. But keeping it going can be, is the difficult thing, really. Finding the next job is, is the mm-hmm work really i think with music yeah especially if it's not just that first band that got really big and then you're not you're in it for 30 years and that's it or something or yeah, 50 I mean, now but yeah some people are lucky enough to that, that you know that happens to them i have friends who uh, a lot of my friends from glasgow are, are in bands that have their first record came out was a success and they built on that and and kept going and it's a really beautiful thing and and a lot of those bands make really great records because it's about the chemistry between that particular mm-hmm. set of people. Um, and then it's kind of like if one of them left, it wouldn't really be the same. And that, that is the case with a lot of probably the bands that you love, you know, uh, that everyone yeah. loves. Um, but for a lot of musicians, it doesn't always work out like that. So the tricky thing is like after that love affair with that band is over, how do you reinvent yourself? How do you find another band or how do you form a new thing or you know and and over the years I've found that um the best thing to do is just to try and do all of that you know when you have the time to do stuff like that explore new musical things constantly be trying to learn new stuff and get better at the stuff that you're already all right at and that way you you stay interested and engaged and people stay interested in you that seems to to work you know yeah, well, and some of the people I follow around, it's like they're in different different groups, you know. And um, I mean, Jack White, you know, with like the Tours, for example, right. and then he'll have like the band The Dead Weather. Like he'll just, he'll just because he has his studio and stuff, he can, you know, have people record there and kind of end up in different places. But then the guys from the Greenhorns or in the Tours, stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of fun too, just to be able to, experience those people in different groups i i like that yeah because it brings out different um working with different people brings out different elements of yourself it's like a dinner party with lots of different people you know like it brings out different um facets of your musical personality when you play with mm-hmm. them when you learn things about yourself as a musician what works with one set of musicians doesn't 
necessarily work with the others. So you have to be constantly moving and changing and, and getting better at what you do to fit in with different people. And that's the fun kind of thing about it, really, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So so when did you get into then deciding to also go the avenue of sound engineering and doing front of house? It, really, it was a, it kind of happened by accident. I, I was sort of, I, I was working in a studio somewhere um, and like a rehearsal room and um, playing, doing a bit of session work and playing in a bunch of different bands and touring with different people. And uh, I think I just a friend phoned me and they, they had this gig in a bar or it was a little bar in King's Cross with a basement. Hmm. And the engineer, the live engineer hadn't turned up for whatever reason. And they oh. phoned me in a panic and I go, oh, listen, you know about sound and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can turn on my mic, like, my, uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can hear, like, you yeah, can right. hear, right, Ben? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and um, I think at the time, the studio were paying me, like, I was selling like 50 quid a night to go and sit and set up the studio for bands. And then, and I went to this pub and I did the same thing for like, a little audience of people and mixed the gig. I mean, it wasn't complicated. It was like a 150 yeah. gig or something like that. And um, they paid me 70 quid and gave me pizza. <laughs> and I was kind of like oh wait a minute <laughs> it's got some of work oh and I think there was a bar there as well and at the time they were giving me like a couple of free free drinks so so that was how it sort of started and then yeah I just sort of started because I'd never really thought of myself as a technical person it had always kind of mm-hmm. Um, been a bit confusing. Like I knew loads about how to make the bass sound the way I liked it, but I didn't really know about other instruments. So doing that came at a time when I wasn't particularly busy, and then I suddenly started learning all of this stuff about you know frequencies and what goes where in the audio spectrum, and and then then I had a lot of kind of light bulb moments where it was like, oh, hang on, if I do that to the bass, then in the big picture of the mix, it's going to sit way better and and suddenly both things started kind of feeding in to one another yeah. and the, and it, it was just a really fun and educational moment for me and and luckily this wonderful group of people in this little bar uh, just paid me to come like two or three nights yeah. and do gigs in there when I didn't really know what I was doing I mean I think a lot of sound engineers when they start out are the same it's like you just you want to make it sound great, but you're not quite sure how. And you learn mm. by, by doing it. And then the the kind of community of live engineers in London has been extremely supportive. I've made some really amazing friends there. And the way it normally works is you're working at a little place and you go to a gig. The place where I sort of started going to see bands regularly was a bar called the Lexington, which is on oh. Road. And for a little bit, yeah. it's a really great sounding room and, and a great sound of PA they have in there and I remember getting into a conversation with their house guy going how do you make it sound so great <laughs> yeah look yeah. at this bar down the road and it always just sounds like you know kicking a cat <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. and oh it's awful and then um, he was like well come come down to a gig and I'll show you what we do and that, and that was the start of like really learning mm-hmm. that would translate into like you know doing sound in massive places and, and, and touring with artists that I really love so so yeah it was just a sort of accidental process and then I kind of got interested in it really and it's been yeah. the, the really great thing 
has been it has happened a few times now that I've kind of gone on tour with someone as a sound engineer mm-hmm. and because we speak the same musical language but that, like with Anna Calvi who's one of the artists that I work with uh, we I started off doing sound for her and, and now I play bass for her occasionally and we, we collaborate on a, some other things and that sort of thing is really fun like you you kind of get into this big sort of musical melting pot of and then another band uh, Melt Yourself Down who are really great band they've got they've released an album uh, just at the end of last year it's such a shame because they would have been on tour all of this right. year like their first record they, I went on tour with them as a sound engineer and there was one gig they didn't have a bass player for so I ended up oh. <laughs> that yeah. te- like getting the house guy to do the sound and then playing bass for them that night and, st- and those kind of things are just a laugh it's just really really hilariously funny when you're like yeah oh, what can you know well I can't do both at once so let's try let's prioritize the most important thing <laughs> so that yeah so that it all kind of has ended up feeding into each other that sort of side of things and it's a great way to meet people as well you know mm-hmm. doing sound and doing playing bass for different people yeah Oh, that's really cool. And I like, too, just you mentioning the venue, the Lexington. So I haven't been there, but I was just listening to um, an Instagram live where uh, Ezra, do you know Ezra Furman? Yeah, my mate does send him. Really? Yeah. Okay, so, yes, they were on a live Instagram live just now with someone, Dublond, uh, artist, I guess, from here. Yeah. And they met there. So they were just talking about the Lexington. And I guess there's like a, a situation where if you need to go use the bathroom, that you have to cross the stage or something from the backstage, like it's yeah. super small. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's what they were talking about. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I want to check out that venue. So that, and I'm a person who I've definitely, when I've traveled around, I've often in my personal life traveled to sh- to see an artist and yeah. I'll build a trip around that. So, yeah. and I think some other people do that, especially around certain venues. So, you know, I end up with like bucket list venues and stuff. And like, I was at the Fillmore in San Francisco, right? I guess in 2019, right. that was one of the bucket list ones for me. Yeah. Um, do you have any like venues that you just have loved doing sound at? Just, oh, they, I mean, there are a few, I, I, I love um, any of those kind of old school theater type venues. Like the, the classic one in London is Shepherd's Bush Empire. And when you go in, you just feel, you kind of feel there's just been so much stuff has happened there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they always feel really great. Um, I, I'm not such a big fan of the more modern kind of concrete bunker type venues. I mean, they don't yeah. sound great. And then, and arena venues, they all just feel a bit impersonal. But any of those little places where there's like beer and blood in the carpets, I love them. Like, <laughs> those, are the, those are my kind of dives. That's the sort of sort of place that I really really like and then obviously yeah. when you do sound like the first time as an engineer or as a performer as well that you do um somewhere like Brixton Academy or like, I mean mm-hmm. the biggest gig I've done in front of house is Alexandra Palace in London and that is oh. a massive like whoa fucking hell I'm here and <laughs> it better sound good like you know like you're yeah. really like that's when you really put the pressure on yourself it's a hometown gig and it's like 15,000 people there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those moments are always pretty kind of kind of amazing. And then I guess when we tour, the, the main, like the biggest gig I do playing bass is with Iggy Pop. And when mm-hmm. we tour with him, I mean, we just play some really mad play. We played at the bottom of this uh, uh, Swedish, I think it's a Swedish quarry that was made, that was at the bottom of a meteor hole. Like that was one of <laughs> 
fun of things. There's like this mad auditorium, like that was pretty mental. And we played um, supporting Metallica in Foro Sol in Mexico City. Uh, I think that was two, three nights maybe. And each night was like 70 or 80,000 people. Wow. And that's just insane. It's just people like as far as you can, I mean, it just feels mental like that that kind of thing those are all big moments when you do those gigs and you kind of think oh in 10 years i'll this i'll remember this moment and you're standing there Mm -hmm. you know that that that, those are always kind of big moments but yeah generally for venues um, i'm trying to think if there are any in california that are um the tribute of is a bit of a moment oh yeah yeah that's great yeah i think it's where i've been a Francisco, I've been to a couple of times. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That really old school. I've never been to the Fillmore. And then oh, yeah, that's I mean, cool. There are the uh, Metro in Chicago is another one that's really old school, and I think that's closed now actually. But the, any of those kind of little club venues or theatre venues that and there's another one in San Francisco that was a brothel, uh, the Great American Music Hall. I don't know if that's oh, I know Robin Williams did comedy there because I remember when he right. talked to. Mark Marin on a podcast, they talked about it, but yeah. That's pretty special kind of place. But yeah, all of those places that, you know, you, you kind of walk onto the stage and you're like, oh, you, you read that, oh, Bob Dylan was there and like, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, like in New York City. Yeah, right, right, right. All of those kind of places are just, there's just sort of some sort of feeling there. I don't know, a lot of vibe. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always nice. There's a cool place in San Diego called the Casbah. And it's near the airport. Have you been there? By I, chance? I haven't. I've only played in San Diego once. And um, I can't remember the name of the place. It was on the shore. I forgot what it was called. It was next to a really old amusement park with a... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Canes, I think it was Canes. called. Yeah, yeah, Canes. No, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but <laughs> I've heard a lot of um, people talking about the Casbah in San Diego, like a few a few musicians that are... It's coming. so small. It's a bar, right. basically. It's so small and it's so cool. Yeah, I have a good friend who, if she'll be listening to this, and yeah, we got ourselves like, we always would get ourselves in trouble, you know, good yeah. trouble, but the, <laughs> yeah. kind of tr- the kind of trouble that you get when you're just at a small bar venue with strong drinks, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and so then, yeah, and so one thing you just mentioned, you tour with Iggy Pop, which, and you tour in general, and of course that stopped for the last year. So, would you yeah. end up filling your time with? Well. The it, well, it's been weird. The, there were a few options at the beginning of the this whole kind of shutdown, and and I think everyone we've had a bunch of false starts where because initially, um, well, first of all, everyone who works in live music or, or in any industry that depends on mass gatherings of people has been hit really hard by this, which everyone sort of knows. But um, yeah, at the beginning it was kind of. Well, or, or things will be okay. So everything's going to be cancelled, but things will be fine by summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that was back then. And then it was like, oh, autumn, and things will be fine by autumn. Everything will be fine by Christmas. And now it's kind of like, oh, spring. But already, people are there are not yeah. festivals this summer. That's not going to happen. So maybe by the end of the, but I mean, who knows when it's going to end? So at the beginning, it, it was sort of like, well. There's going to be a chunk of time, a few months. It's turned out to be a lot longer than that. Um, 
what you know, and that was, was the question I think every musician asked themselves: is what are we going to do with this time? And the, yeah. me, it was uh, to just try and work with stuff I could do already, but make it better. So I've, mm-hmm. I've been working a lot on my playing technique, how to be stronger. There are areas that, like, it's quite boring technical stuff, but there's areas of my left-hand technique and right-hand mm-hmm. technique that I wasn't particularly happy with. So just doing that for a few hours a, a day is pretty amazing, really. Like, when you, because as a professional at anything, you never get this period of time to mm-hmm. really go in deep and uh, and look at what you do in a super critical way and try and improve it because that maybe will happen you get three days but then you have to go into a gig somewhere so you <laughs> you just don't really have the time so it um so it's been incredibly valuable in that way i was talking to uh, matt hector who's the guy who plays drums in the Iggy gig today actually we're doing mm-hmm. some recording tomorrow for another singer and we've really been working as a rhythm section to we have a way of playing where Matt kind of drives the song and I pull the drums back, I sit behind the beat. And that's kind of worked really well for us in a bunch of things. But we just thought, well, why don't we try and flip it and you push ahead of the beat and I'll sit back. And mm-hmm. we've been all of these kind of like things that sound like really little musical things, but they really change the way pieces of music feel when there are two instruments, especially someone as fundamental as the bass and drums, yeah. interacting in a different way. So it's been really cool to do that kind of thing. Um, the other thing I've been doing is um, get trying to get better at recording the bass guitar. So quite um, a few people have asked me to play on records that they're making, a bunch of people in different countries, guy in Switzerland, guy in Italy, a couple of people here. Um, nice. I've been recording bass remotely, for them from home so at the beginning of the lockdown i bought a bunch of things so i could set up a little studio i mean you can see a couple of guitars there There's yeah a whole bunch of other <laughs> crap it looks like a music shop in here it's sort of where i live <laughs> that was really that was really fun and in the same way that i had to learn a lot about live engineering very quickly because i was having to do gigs I suddenly wasn't turning up at a recording studio and, and plugging the bass in and someone else was doing all that. I had to kind of do it and um, make it sound good enough to be on a record. So that was really fun, like that process of recording remotely. And I think a lot of musicians have collaborated over this period of time with a lot of people. They <clears throat> they maybe wouldn't have had the time mm-hmm. or, or the, you know, the, the inclination to do that. So that kind of has been a, a blessing as well. So in some ways... It's been really nice, although I'm sure everyone is missing the budget mm-hmm. from performing to people. It's been really great to have the time to focus on all of these other areas that you normally can't focus on because you're so busy. You know, you, you're just constantly playing shows. So, so yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it in a lot of ways that having the time. No, it's true. And just kind of, I know I've filled my time too in different ways, but for you, I mean, just to take, what your primary job was always being in a place where there were a lot of people and to be able to kind of pivot that way and find other things. Yeah. Do do you, um, as far as it goes, just when you are back in the live space, do you get a similar thrill out of being on stage versus doing the sound engineering? Or is there one, is the answer obvious as it might seem that like being on stage is more. It's really different. Um, The thing that you sort of have when you're playing on stage with a bunch of people is you really feel part of a kind of group of um, 
you're very linked to the other people who are performing and you're in this sort of sort of physical and psychological bubble on that stage where you're making this sound that creates a mood and someone is shouting and singing and doing stuff on top of that and um and that's you feel very much part of a gang when you're doing that and then there, there are all the people you're working with like the engineers who are helping you maintain it's like building spinning like seven different plates at once <laughs> making this thing sort of vibes sort of happen um and then doing front of house um is slightly different because you're sort of seeing that in front mm-hmm. of you at the other end of the hall and trying to translate that as best you can to all of these people <laughs> um so the 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 thrill that you get you still get the same adrenaline buzz uh-huh uh, but there's a bigger sense of responsibility at front of house, I think, and it feels a lot more lonely. If you, um, uh, if something goes wrong and you're mm-hmm. you're very much on your own, it's you, like one person, and then there's five thousand audience members, <laughs> and if it sounds shit. <laughs> <laughs> really down to you so if something is not sounding right you really need to have the calmness and kind of wherewithal to go why does this not sound great what am I going to do about it and how can I fix it within you know 15 seconds Uh, so there's definitely a lot more pressure but I I guess as a front of house engineer you get to see the big musical picture which Mm -hmm. is joyous when it's a band you love playing the songs that they are great at playing and you're making it all and the audience are all jumping around and that's that's a pretty big buzz but then on stage you obviously get the energy of all the other performers and and that's a different kind of thing but you don't ever like when I'm standing in front of a bass amp I never really can hear what the singer is saying (laughs) or the guitarist who's over on the other side of the stage, I've got a vague idea of what they're doing, but I don't really know. So I never really get to hear the whole symphony <laughs> in a way, you know. So they're very different types of joy, but you definitely do get the same kind of buzz. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, and nothing beats standing next to Eggy Pop when he's right. in full flow, you know, than being at front mm-hmm. of a different experience for for an uh, amazing front of house engineer who does that gig. Yeah. Do you... um? So yeah, as far as that goes too, I mean, Iggy Pop, that's a really big person to play for. And like you mentioned, you have the huge arena crowds and stuff. And then some other gigs that you'll do are way smaller. Is there something that you, I don't want to say like love doing more, but kind of similar to the other question, I guess, like what's the difference in the experience for you on stage when you're doing a huge arena? I can't even imagine like, seeing that many people right in an arena and yeah. they're just clapping and listening to you. So how's that feel? And, and what's that experience like for you versus like the small kind of blood on the carpet kind of venue, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think you, whatever gig you're doing, it's really important to respect the, the, the gig. Mm-hmm. You, you have to put, they're different. They're different. Thing, there are different problems and different things that you need to deal with in both places. Um, but you need to put the same amount of mental preparation into making it great in wherever you are. 
whether you're in, you know, the, the dog and duck <laughs> or you're playing, you know, Wembley Stadium, it doesn't really, it, it needs to be great. Otherwise, what's the point of getting up and standing in front of people and going, look at me, you know, like, yeah. You need to be prepared to, to do whatever it takes to make that gig great, whether it's preparation, whether it's not doing something in the middle of the, you know, or, or yeah. doing something particular in the middle of the gig. Whatever that gig takes, that 30 minutes, hour and a half, however long it is, it needs to be amazing. Oh, that's how I look at it anyway. Otherwise, don't bother getting up and doing it. So mm-hmm. I, in some ways, they're all the same. And I think the thing about um, massive audiences, it does, I mean, it's just amazing to see that many people there to, to sort of hear you play. Um, but it, you, you're you kind of generally so used to that that it, it, it doesn't, the first few times you see a big audience, it's like, God, that's a lot, and it's nerve-wracking. But once you've, played to a few gigs that anything over about a thousand people it's mm-hmm. the same really like the, the stage sounds different in bigger places and like technical things are different but but it's the, it's this they're kind of the same I, I think um and those little gigs are enjoyable because you really can interact with people more directly because the people are right there you know I mean we've done pretty small gigs with Iggy. we've done some like little thousand cap 500 cap club gigs and stuff. I mean, the, those were probably more intense than the yeah. big outdoor festival shows. Like, all those festival shows, the audience are like three, four metres away. Like there's the mm-hmm. edge of the stage, then there's the pit, then there's a barrier. And sometimes there's a big channel going down the middle to get from front. Yeah. To the, you know, so they're not as sort of personal, but the, the energy, I mean, obviously the energy of having that many thousand people in front of you is pretty nuts when you see them all jumping around. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that has to be fun. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't, if you're at a festival thing, you're not any, as an audience member, you're not anywhere near the stage, really. I think festival gigs can be easier because people generally are there to have a bit of a party. Like, mm. go to, as a punter, if you go to Glastonbury or any of those big festivals, you're there to have a good time. You're not there really to be a critic. You know, you don't get audiences really on the main, on the main stage of festivals being snobby about it. They want to dance and they want to have a good time whereas when you do um kind of smaller club gigs especially if it's with a less well-known artist and in a big city like london new york la any of those capital cities paris amsterdam uh, berlin the audience Mm -hmm. got they've seen a lot you know like because any big musical act or cool musical act is going to play in those places so you probably need to work be a bit more on the on your game to impress those kinds of audiences. But that's a challenge in itself, you know, that, that's enjoyable. Like, especially when yeah. you get them. You really get them. You're like, yeah, we got you. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's true because in some of those cities too, I mean, I know I can just speak for where I've been, but you'll have audience too that are more interested in talking to each other than to listen, right. you know? So, you know, once they've all shut up kind of that you, what like because you do comedy right how do you deal how do you deal with that in a a comedy well i mean well i so what you said about um treating every gig the same you know i agree with that and i i i do like open mics i mean i'm a small comedian right i'm not any name or anything but like 
so I do a lot of open mics. So that's just really, sometimes it's just you talking to 10 comics who don't care if you're funny. All they want to do is get their five minutes. They have to wait till your five minutes is over so they can go up. Yeah, um, tough. You know, and sometimes you'll have, it's tough. And sometimes you'll have like a cool, like when I left uh, San Diego to move here to London, um, I had like a fundraiser slash going away party thing. Yeah. And so I had like 70 people in there, I think, which was really awesome. Yeah. And that was cool because that one, you know, speaking of like, I, I've got you, like I had them, but also yeah. they're my friends. So I have to like have that bent on it. Uh, but then I do Zoom gigs now and, you know, I'll, I'm prepared. I turn up every time, yeah. ready to go. I do my set. I do it with the same enthusiasm. Yeah. Cause you have to, and you're right because it makes a difference, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, but um, as far as like people not being engaged, I mean, it's, I'm not good at handling that still. Yeah. You know? uh, it's difficult. I think uh, I've seen, I mean, as the bass player, I never really have to deal with it one way or another, but it's painful for the, the uh, like the singer, like when they have to deal with it. I've seen people deal with it in different ways. Like sometimes just out, like, anger, throwing things. Morrissey. Yeah, right. Or um, I have seen one guy that I used to play with this blues artist managed to shame a bunch of people into being quiet. He said um, he was really great. He man, like he he was really good at doing that because he would play some like, raucous blues songs and then play some real like ballads that like, really. I mean, he's a great singer, but when mm-hmm. people chat over the top of them, it's it's really annoying. But I remember him shaming a bunch of people talking at the bar into being quiet because he just mm-hmm. like, listen, I know you're having a great time, but there's like, like 50, 60 people over here that really want to hear the gig and you are ruining it, ruining it for them. Do you want, if you want to chat, do you want to go outside? And they all left shame faced. It was great. But I, those <laughs> moments, it's difficult to silence a crowd without making people go, fuck you. You know, like you need to yeah. get them on board. Well, mm-hmm. you do that. and it's it's, te- it's like te- it's like a, dealing with a kid, like telling them off, but staying their friend. Do you know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to yeah. do. Really tricky one to do, I think. Yeah, I've seen like usually what'll happen: a comic will just go after them, but like uh, you have to really be ready. This is where, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I saw a gig near here, and this woman was just um, heckling everyone. Right. Right, and she was just so. Like, no one was on her side yeah. eventually, right? So it was like, all right, you can be a little bit like, all right, you know, they're drinking, whatever. No one was on her side. And then the one comic just com- destroyed her. Yeah. You know? And it's like, but then he had to use his whole set to go after her instead of doing his material. And it's yeah. just like, it's so selfish, right? It's like, just yeah. go outside. You're, the guy's right. Go outside. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> no one's paying to see you. Yeah. Like you, the person. <laughs> talking like i don't want to know what you have to say i don't want to hear a dumb conversation yeah you know? that, that's so true about the the comic having to waste their time to tell this person that they're being an idiot it's you know that is super selfish you know like yeah you should be telling a bunch of jokes that they've spent time writing you know yeah yeah not just like and same with the music i mean it's hard i mean everyone does that where they have something they need to tell their friend but Hmm. At some point, I saw a passenger, and he was playing by himself, like to, like just with the acoustic guitar. That was yeah. it. Yeah. And he ended up, like, I know it's plugged in, but he ended up going off of the mic and everything. And really? so it's this, it was amazing. It was this venue in New York, 
Yeah. But no one talked. And I was like, I just felt it was one of those moments I won't forget because you rarely get that yeah. where everyone's just quiet and yeah. listening and knows something. It's pretty beautiful. That is a really clever trick. It's like, because it generally, if you, with a performance like that, with an acoustic guitar, if you try and be louder than the people who are talking, they will just talk louder. <laughs> Whereas if you get quieter, they suddenly become very conscious about being mm-hmm. a loud voice. Yeah, so that's a yeah. probably way to deal with that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, God, I, you miss you miss live, right? I mean, I miss seeing it. Yeah, I, um, I mean, it'll be back. I, I don't doubt yeah. that. It, um, at the moment, yeah, it was kind of like I, I didn't want to be. I don't want to be sad about mm-hmm. it, it not being here. So. Um, I guess we ju- we just need to wait. You know, that's the reality. That's, that's the world we're living in at the moment. We just need to wait until it's safe for people to do that again. But yeah, I do yeah. I do miss it. I've done a couple of socially distanced gigs. Both of them uh, were with this drag queen that I work with called Diane Chorley. She's amazing. <laughs> and then 80s songs, but with a really great band. So there were a whole bunch of us that we've done a couple of nights in the Clapham Grand that were socially distanced. And that, for all the musicians, I mean, there's some really great musicians there, like the bunch of the guys that play for Laura Marlin, one of the guys from Mumford and Sons, a bunch cool. of drag queens, like uh, comedian mates come and sing and do tons. Of, I mean, they were just, it was just amazing. But that those gigs are always a good laugh. But it was just even more of a laugh because those are like the two gigs we've, all of us, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's all just a bunch of people that play in lots of different bands getting together for fun, you know, and, th- and that was really joyous, you know. So I'm really, I'm, I'm so happy we we got the chance to do those. Like that, that was mm-hmm. they meant a lot. Like they felt really emotional those kind of performances. So, so yeah, it, I mean, it'd just be great to be able to get back to doing that again. Mm-hmm. But the things now have been cancelled and rebooked and cancelled and rebooked so many times. I don't even want to look forward to a gig happening. I'll believe no. It's like those two is that it, the thing that happens to music or has happened to me for years is people are like, yeah, so we're going to release the album, then we'll tour in Europe, then we'll tour in America, and then we're going to go to Japan. And it's like that. <laughs> and then nothing <laughs> happens. And, that, like, that, and it's like, okay, I'll believe it when I see the plane ticket. And that's kind of how I feel about these apocryphal events that are going to happen at, at some point. And I think most of my mates who play music are kind of feeling the same about it. Like, we'll believe it when we see, you know, mm-hmm. it's just been announced and cancelled so many times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think all the companies have had to build, like, mechanisms to refund and to yeah. move dates and, you know, everything. It's, I know I stopped planning ahead, really. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah. why? The other thing that crossed my mind the other day was that the effect this has had on the way people interact, these kind of extended lockdowns for up to a month, more than a month, it's kind of like when you think about the things that had big... I mean, I'm not saying that it's had the same impact and that people have been shot and stuff like that, but it's like when you read about the stuff that happened in like World War Two, like families mm. separated for years... You know, people going off to like that kind of it, it's kind of had that sort of impact. I mean, no one is shooting one another, at, at the, yeah. you know, but but people are definitely being kept apart and like it, it's really strange. And by the time yeah. this is over with, it's going to be a couple of years, you know, it's mm-hmm. really, really a long time, you know, for, for everyone. Yeah. 
So it will definitely be a collective massive sigh of relief. I can't wait to do a festival where everyone can hug and like, hang out and yeah, do all that stuff. It's going to be so amazing for people, you know? Yeah, like, do you watch shows and stuff and just kind of go, like, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll see a show and I'm like, wait, why are they hugging? What are you, why are you going yeah, yeah, somewhere? When, when you watch films now and you see people talking normally, it's like when the smoking ban first happens. Like, if, yeah. it's weird that people didn't smoke in bars. But now if you see someone in a movie smoking indoors, it seems really, like, whoa. <laughs> and it's like that with two people just talking normally. Like yeah. <laughs> it's been so long since that was like all right to do, you know? It's super weird. Yeah. Such a strange yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I've seen a couple of those. I got just I mean, you just you just had more time to watch TV at some point or whatever. And like I watched some stupid um show, like a dating show, and I'm like, No, you can't even do that now. Oh, I know, I was watching Indian Indian matchmaking right. and they're going and meeting <laughs> I'm like, hey, you couldn't do that. Like, yeah, right, right. Good luck, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. yeah, so weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, like, as far as your guitar, your bass guitars go. So, I want to do get a couple like stats on you, I guess. All right. So you started out with your ugly yellow sparkly bass that you're gonna f- locate now. We'll put a search out for it. But how many, how many just like say bass guitars do you have? Uh, at the moment, uh. I think 10 I think I own 10 which feels like a lot I think think that feels like a lot of guitars after this how many will you own I'm just kidding (laughs) yeah um I did buy a new one um um, but it's not new I only really like old ones Mm mm-hmm so I'm not really I don't I'm not really a fan of new ones really. I haven't played a new one that I've liked in a while. Um but they do out of the ten, they all do tonally all do sort of different things. And generally if it's a guitar you use a lot and you take on two, you need two, because you need one and um a spare in case anything goes wrong with the main one. So yeah. so essentially I have five. Yeah. Right, because you have one and a backup. That's good. That's, that's like five that's twins. A lie. <laughs> I have 10 um, <laughs> and uh, I, I love them all for different reasons. They all do sort of different things. Yeah. Cool. Is one better for recording versus live or something like um, kind of? Yeah. Some are they just for different things? Like some will do more of that. Like, so, you know, like the kind of bass sound on a Motown record, like that real classic mm-hmm. kind of like soft kind of like funky kind of thing. Some are good for that yeah. sort of thing. And then other ones sound more like, I don't know, more like punk, like sounding. But if you hit them hard with a guitar pick, they're cooler for that kind of thing. Okay. So, uh, they all do different sort of things. And then you get different size ones. Like that one there, that guy, is a short scale. So it's like not as bassy as the other ones. That Like the other okay. longer. So they can, that sound, it sits in a mix differently. Like you would just cool. like a kind of 70s sounding thing or something like that. All right. And then, yeah, they all sort of do sort of slightly different things. But 10, I think maybe that's. The- <laughs> no, that's all right, Ben. I, I honestly, I have a guitar, which I'll hold up. You'll see it. It's right here. Hey, guitar. Okay. Hi. Looks- and um, <laughs> I used to have three guitars. Right. I couldn't play even one of them. <laughs> I, still, I still can't play this I'm one. a terrible guitar player. Like really. But. Well, yeah, so maybe I play as well as you, but it's just like 
I always liked having one, but like those other ones I acquired just because ra- I had the acoustic, then I bought the electric right. so I could plug my headphones in and just, li- and I wouldn't be loud in my apartment. I just made up a, you know, to get yeah. another one. And I, so I can see how you play it. I have 10 bass guitars so that I could plug my headphones in. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just helping you out. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I guess the last one, and then we'll just get into like my final questions and stuff. Um, As far as like, I guess, style of music, if you compose music, maybe, or just even playing, like what's your favorite like thing to really get into that you just love? To to compose. um, I like stuff. I'm I'm really interested in textures of sound. So I'm interested in them. so, like things that sound sonically rich and have a lot of character. So, so layers of stuff. I, I really like um, kind of shoegazy, kind of guitar-y kind of things. Or um, uh, just I'm 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 more interested at the moment in the way things sound than sort of songwriting compositions. So I like mm. noisy stuff, like textural stuff. Um, making the bass sound not like a bass is kind of like yeah. what I enjoy but I like melody as well so that within the kind of confines of melody is what I'm interested in from a sort of compositional sense at the moment mm-hmm. which is <laughs> normally nothing anyone wants to listen to <laughs> <laughs> but it's just fun to create and then what about when you like are playing like what's your favorite kind of just genre to play I'll, I mean I like everything I, I, it's yeah. Um, every genre just is a different jigsaw about where the bass should fit in and what. What I like is someone bringing a piece of music to me in any genre and going, "Can you put some bass on that?" And I'll be like, "Oh, what's going to fit with this?" And then you—that's when you get one of the or three of the ten guitars off the wall and start going, "What is that? Yeah, yeah, does that sound like like that?" I love that. Like, I love doing that and kind of. What I feel like I'd really like to do is play more electronic music, like more, mm-hmm. more like I don't know, like, like weird noisy electronic music or hip hop or like uh, that. That interests me at the moment. I I do I play a lot of rock music and a lot mm-hmm. of music and I love it. Like, but I've been doing that for a while, so it's difficult to find something new in that. From right point of view, you kind of listen to something, you go, it needs that, and then you know I can do that. But I, I quite I, I enjoy most probably things that need something weird something that i haven't done before so those novelty things or, or unusual things for me are, are always the most fun the, the most challenging those are the ones i enjoy the most. Oh, nice all right did we is there anything you want to touch on that we didn't cover uh, no nah, that's so so fun isn't it so music yeah. fun stuff yeah is there anything that you want i guess you you, you've asked the questions. I don't, but anything else you want to ask me about, feel free. Go crazy. Yeah. Well, I have this uh, fun five. It's five questions that I'll right, right. ask you. So I'll do those. Um, but first, before that, do you have any like advice or mantra that you just like to share with people? Um, maybe even along the lines of like, you know, you're a unique guest for me in the sense that you're you're doing what you love, and that's really cool. Right. Um, but yeah, anything. Um, I think if you want to do uh, anything creative or artistic and make it your job, you inevitably will get to points where it feels like it is a schlep 
and it feels like you're no one is calling you back you, you know you're not getting the gigs you want you're trying out for stuff and uh, other people are getting them and you just uh, not, you go through these bad patches where things go badly and the important thing if you really love it is to keep doing it because if you're good at it that will change uh, you know something will you something will a uh, uh, switch will flip and you will you'll get a chance to go and do it and always just when that just bear in mind that that could be at any point it might be the least likely gig ever that someone will be there and, and then next week you'll get a call going okay do you want to come and do this you know so so just oh, keep going even when it gets hard and whenever you get a call to go and do something be happy try and be happy about it and, and go and and just really love it and, and enjoy it yeah. then that's how great things happen you know that i, I think that's the best advice to for, for anyone that wants to do this kind of thing for, for a living cool yeah that's great all right so the fun five um what is the <laughs> what is the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear ah uh, oh, it's uh it's a beatles t-shirt and um i inherited it from my ex who i have a child mm-hmm. with his her dad did pr for paul mccartney and when he was doing pr for paul mccartney they made a bunch of t-shirts i don't know if this was an old beatles t-shirt but it's like from the 70s and it says and it's white really it's kind of falling apart and it's got a picture of like the fab four on it and it uh, does it say it either says help or please please me on it i can't remember but it says the beatles i think it says please please me and it's so cool it's really great it's a really cool t-shirt but it's from i don't wear it very often because it's I don't want it to totally fall apart. But that, yeah. that's, I think it's maybe even the oldest bit of clothing that I own, but it's definitely the coolest and oldest T-shirt that I own, that Beatles. Nice. Yeah. That's really cool. It is super, yeah, that's it's good. a super cool bit of... I think they were... I think she was going to throw it out, and she was like, oh, this is old Beatles T-shirt. And I was like, dude! <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I, I will wear it. Like, don't, you know... Oh, yeah. it's a dish towel or something like that, like that. And I ended up having, and I'm so happy I, I have it. Yeah, it's it's a cool thing to to. Yeah, and it's crazy how t-shirts fall apart. I have some really old ones, and like they just get these holes, and like the sleeves start to, you know, they just rip apart slowly yeah. over time. It's yeah. under the yeah, start. Yeah, it's always yeah under yeah. the arm. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what we're doing. I think t-shirts, jeans, leather jackets—they all all have a sort of optimum falling apart point where they look the coolest. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit like then they go over the edge to like now you just kind of look like yeah <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it's it, yeah the, the, they get to a point where you can no longer wear them because they've fallen apart too much and it's sometimes exactly let go of them in that moment yeah <laughs> that's the part where you have to really say okay fine this is no longer bringing me joy it has to be retired it, <laughs> yeah. <to> wear it. <laughs> yeah okay so a lot of people have said like every day is like Groundhog's Day because we've been in this thing for so long, you know, yeah. where we're just like yeah. getting up and whatever. It was that uh, day, right? The Groundhog Day. Someone was talking to me about that. Uh, oh, sorry, go on. Oh, oh no, the real Groundhog's Day was this. Was it this week or it's early? We're Last doing this. Yeah. yeah, it was like this week, I think, or it's right. gonna come up. But yeah, because we're in the first week of February for people listening. So because this will go up in a little bit, but um. So in the movie Groundhog's Day, Bill Murray's alarm clock plays the same song every day. Yeah. Because I've got you, babe. Right? Right. 
So what song would you have your alarm clock play if every day really was Groundhog's Day? Ah, well, this is slightly embarrassing. Um, So I, (laughs) I, um, when I first went on tour with Anna Calvi as her front of house engineer, it was just me and her. And we went on, it's about two weeks around Europe. Mm -hmm. And she was just playing guitar and singing. She has a band, but she didn't take the band on this particular jaunt. Um, and at the time, I she's one of my favourite artists ever. So when I got the call to do that gig, I was absolutely over the moon. It was really amazing to do it. But um, I used I was using one of her songs as my the alarm on my <laughs> phone, uh, and it was a song of hers called "Swimming Pool," which okay. is a really beautiful piece of music that starts with this really kind of shimmering guitar, and then she does this almost like Maria Callas sort of mm-hmm. uh, really beautiful sort of operatic sounding classical vocal over the top of it and um it's such an amazing way to wake up like you wake up to this really kind of shimmery guitar and then the voice starts and it's like ah and everything feels quite nice with the world but I of course had it as the alarm on my phone when we were on tour together so she would just look at me all the times when my phone would start making this noise and it was happening. <laughs> but that definitely I've, I've since removed it I might reinstate it actually because I'm not going to see her for a while uh, but that <laughs> is my ideal alarm it's just a beautiful people piece of music uh, Swimming Pool by Anna Calvi it's fantastic okay great yeah and I have a Spotify playlist now with all of the things people say so it'll get oh, added yes. eventually. Oh, yeah. amazing yeah great I hope you enjoy it. it's really great piece of music it's really nice all right cool um all right coffee or tea or neither black coffee black coffee okay yeah, yeah when was the last time you laughed so hard you cried or couldn't stop or do you have something that when you think about it it makes you just like crack up and you can't stop uh, a number of things uh, there are oh, my sense of humour is quite silly and quite <laughs> sort of surreal. Um, there are a, a few comics here um, that I really loved from the 90s. Uh, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer are two. They had a show here called The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer. And then they did a game show. And their sort of sense of humour is so surreal. It's like a bit like Morecambe and Wise, who are 70s old school kind of British comics who are from that same sort of surreal... Uh, you know, how are you doing carrots sort of, like, it, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't be funny if I see it um but Bob Mortimer uh, who's one of the duo has a podcast that he does with um I can't remember the other guy's name's Andy's from Sunderland sounds very northern that they do and it's it's sort of allegedly about football but it's not it's just about nonsense it's called athletic <laughs> mince and they have various characters. It's not particularly funny right at the beginning, but lately it's just the funniest thing ever. And I think most of the podcasts are about 45 minutes. And they do various quizzes where they take the mickey out of one another's habits of things that they do. And then they have different characters who are sort of roughly football-related, but not really. Like one of the characters they do is of a guy called Roy Hodgson. And in their podcast, one of them plays Roy. He's a football manager who's very old and he used to manage England and now he manages Crystal Palace, I think. And um, Roy in the podcast is obsessed by the role-playing game Warhammer and they, <laughs> they try to get him, and one of them just does this ridiculous voice that is meant to be him. They try to get him to talk about football, but he refuses. He will only wants to talk about Warhammer and he has a speech impediment where he can't pronounce the, the letter R. So it's... <laughs> I, I, I listen to that when, I, when I'm going to... Uh, the other day I went to a rehearsal when kent for this gig that i was doing 
and I listened to it on the way there, and I was honestly laughing on the train. Luckily, there's no one on the train at the moment, but I yeah, yeah. just kept like, every episode. There was a moment where I just completely lose my shit, and it's great. It's really good at, at, in this moment to have that much laughter in your life. It's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, Athletico Mints is the podcast. So if anyone likes surreal, weird humor, it's it's a okay. pretty gold. It's pretty pretty gold. Yeah. All right. No, that's great. And yeah, and it's funny to be the only one just laughing. I I'm one of those people who would just laugh out loud when I'm on my bicycle, like going. It's, and I'll be listening to a podcast and laugh and people look at you and say, it's well, whatever. therapeutic, isn't it? It's just losing your inhibitions and, and, and yeah. embracing joy. Yeah, no, I, I like those moments a lot. Uh, I do. Yeah. All right. And the last one, who inspires you right now? At the moment, who inspires me? Interesting. Not a whole lot. I guess, I guess for me, most of the inspiration comes from the, a lot of the musicians that I play with, like other people that, um, that I, I'm lucky enough to be making music with it and I see being amazing at it in their own way. Um, like the, when I did that uh, gig with my drag queen friend, Diane, like the, the mm-hmm. bands for that gig were just, they're all so phenomenal and so incredible at what they do. And um and I think one of the things I enjoyed about that gig the most was we all play as you know at, at quite a high level as professional musicians, but it's rare you get a chance to come together with other people that do what you do in an environment where it's that much fun. And, right. And so I, I was really inspired by all of them on a personal level, with all of the restrictions around coronavirus and all of the the stuff you have to deal with getting together to do a gig how gracious and good-humoured and funny and entertaining everyone was just on a hanging-out level. It was amazing. And also how talented they all were as musicians. That Each one of them is an absolute legend, you know. So I, I take a lot of inspiration from those kinds of people. And then, obviously, the, the amazing artists that I get to play with. So Iggy is inspirational for me pretty much on a daily basis. Alan mm. Calvey is another amazing, you know, inspiration. Uh, Mark Hammond, who I'm going to be recording yeah. with tomorrow. I mean, these people have given so much of themselves to other people in their, the art that they give. So I, I find that really inspiring. And it, it makes me want to keep getting better at what I do so I can continue to support them. So, so I, that's where I get most of my inspiration from at the moment, I think. Cool. Well, that's awesome. That's really nice. I mean, just that you find that in the people you work with. That's good. It's yeah. It's I think it's important. The great thing about the one of the other positives is, I mean, nothing about the pandemic is great. Let's be clear about that. But one of the other positives about um, having more time around the things that you do is that you do have more opportunities to tell people <laughs> these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Whereas um, previously when you turn up to do a gig, you know, you do it and you go and then before you know it, you're in the next thing and then, and you never really get the chance. I, I feel like I've been quite blessed that I've got the chance to get to know some of the people that I work with a lot better over the last year. And previously you're kind of so busy trying to get these musical things happening and get them right. And that you don't really have the chance to kind of go, how do you feel about that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that is, yeah. that's great. And and if if one good thing comes out of the pandemic, maybe it 
it will give more people the opportunity to reflect on that kind of stuff and appreciate their their friends and, and the people they work with a bit more. I mean, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. being sort of naive and, and idealistic, but there was, uh, you know, at the beginning, there, were, there was a focus on the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think is great, you know, more equality, yeah. people paying more attention to the injustices that are happening in the world. That's a positive thing to, to take from this. And hopefully, I mean, you never know with the human race, we're a right bunch of fucking idiots (laughs) but hopefully there will be some good to come out of this Mm -hmm. in that sort of period of reflection and and hopefully maybe more fairness and and, and happiness who knows who knows yeah we can but hope can't we yeah yeah no for sure and i think i mean i think there have definitely been positives you know it's been hard so i'm i'm with you yeah um is there anything you want to promote i'll put links to your instagram and twitter i believe anything you want people to look up when they who you are. If anyone wants to hear any of my 10 bass guitars on any music <laughs> they're playing, I have a number of bass guitars. <laughs> and I'm happy to play all of them. I can't do them all at once, but I have a number of limbs, other appendages I could hit them with. Um, uh, recently, me and uh, my friend Matt Hector, who's the drummer I do Eggy with, and Mark Hammond, and we did the Razor Light gig together in the lockdown, built a studio down in Kent near where he lives. And um, we are kind of trying to promote that just now as a rhythm section to, for us to come in as a duo and play on things. So, so if anyone right. has any music that they want us to to try and collaborate on or, or produce or, or, or do anything like that, to get in touch with me. And uh, uh, yeah, Insta- it's Instagram slash Mr. Ben Ellis, M-R-B-E-N-E-L-L-I-S. And you can get hold of me through that or, or any of the other social media things. So I'm not difficult to find. Super. All right. Well, Ben, this was really a lot of fun. Thanks so much for. Wait, when we're allowed to, we need to go and pick one another up in a bar again, right? Let, let, let's <laughs> Sunday hanging out and chatting because it, it was great. Like, yeah, I, I was so. It'd been so long since I've been to a bar and to meet such a cool dude as yourself is a really joyous thing. So I, I'm really oh. happy to do this. And, and, and Thank get, you. Virtually. But I hope we get to do it again, actually. And I want to come and see you perform comedy, which should be really fun. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, it was fun when we got to just hang out and talk. Yeah, it just felt yeah. ages since that sort of random meeting had happened. I'm so happy about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, traditional spelling, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Medke is responsible for all of our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at morethanworkpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to More Than Work. Don't forget, while being kind to others, be kind to yourself too. See you next week.